So I've been cooking a lot more at home this year, of course. And over the last couple weeks, I've really been craving some carbonara. Finally made some last week and it was so good. What made it so awesome was this spaghetti chitara pasta that I got from West Michigan Pasta and Provisions. Chef Michael focuses on traditional recipes and a slow drying process to make a super tasty pasta with a really nice texture. He's all about not cutting corners for the sake of efficiency, but focusing on the technique and the people. What comes out of it is a variety of really, really nice extruded pastas. I got a bunch of other varieties like the pappardelle and gramigna and canestrini, and I'm very excited to try out a bunch of new recipes. Check out www.westmichiganpastandprovisions.com for their awesome selection and use the code COPPER for 15% off your first order. You won't be disappointed. Even though I'm in the restaurant almost every day, I still eat my main meal at home. So my, my fridge is filled with preparation to cook. This is Chef Anita. My name is Anita Jasinghani. I'm the co-owner and chef of Pondicherry Restaurant and the Bake Lab in Houston, Texas. Cooking at home can be kind of rough, but Chef Streams is bringing world-renowned restaurant chefs into your home kitchen with pro tips and culinary techniques, like this one from Chef Anita, a five-time James Beard finalist from Houston, Texas. In Indian food, we eat a lot of rotis, and I always, even now, till today, I yesterday, in fact, I was at home, and I had some leftover peelings from a bitter melon, and I'm like, you know, these are so good for you, so I put them in a roti dough, and I made some rotis, and I, and I half-cooked the rotis, stuck in my freezer, so when I want to eat a roti, I just take it out, I you know, flip it on my gas stove, and it's ready within like 30 seconds. With an annual membership to ChefStreams, you have access to weekly interactive live stream experiences where you cook a multi-course meal with your favorite chefs. Plus, members get access to a library of over 30 past classes available on demand. And there are exclusive deals from cooking-related brands like Tillet, Made in Cookware, and Messermeister, which is so awesome. We've worked out a special discount on membership for Copper and Heat listeners that will save you 40% off the standard membership rate. So you can get an annual membership for $99 instead of the usual $165. To learn more about ChefStreams and take advantage of this special offer, go to ChefStreams.com and enter the invite code COPPER when you request a membership invitation. It's not going to be perfect and being able to not only forgive myself, but also carve out the space to say, if I obsess about this for another five hours, it will not make it five hours better, you know? And so I should stop now while I'm ahead. You're listening to Copper and Heat, the podcast exploring the unspoken rules and traditions of restaurants. I'm Katie Osuna. This is the last theme in our third season, Pre-Shift getting you tips, tools, and resources to navigate the challenges of working in hospitality. In this last theme, we have three episodes, each with a different entrepreneur talking about the different challenges they've faced in starting their own thing. In this pre-shift, we're talking with Chef Jenny Dorsey about how she has developed her voice and how she practices kindness with herself. Hi, 
Hi, everyone. I'm Jenny Dorsey. I'm a professional chef, writer, and the founder of a community think tank called Studio Atal. That's spelled A-T-A-O, and it stands for All Together at Once. And we essentially create different types of content and experiences at the heart of food, art, and social impact. So different types of exhibitions, dinner events, or there used to be dinner events, no, no longer right now, um, as well as online resources, toolkits, and small group discussions where people can engage about different social impact topics that are relevant to their industries and their lines of work. I got into food a strange way after um, college. I was I was a finance major and I wanted to go into consulting, wanted to go into fashion luxury consulting. I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. So I just remember there was this period of time where I kept telling myself I needed to lose some weight. And I was like, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. And after I lose 10 pounds, I'm going to go buy myself a pair of Louboutins, which I, A, could not afford, but two is just like, it's just like, it's a terrible thing to, you know what I mean? To have that kind of like compulsive, obsessive kind of relationship with not only your own body, but with, with stuff. So just kind of had this very strained relationship with food, which was ironic because I was also taking these recreational cooking classes because food was always the way I kind of expressed myself. Food was the way I found relaxation. Um, so when I was really stressed out at work, I would take these classes at night. And, and then at the same time, I would like not eat anything that I made in the class or I would binge eat everything I ate in the class and then go on a juice cleanse. Like it was just like a very unstable period of time. So long story short, um, about a couple years in, I was like, I can't do it anymore. And I need to figure something else out. She decided to pursue her MBA at Columbia Business School. And before she started, she attended culinary school. I graduated culinary school and then three days later started at business school. And the juxtaposition was quite terrible, as you can probably imagine. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, these are not the people I really want to be around. This is not the stuff I want to study. Just ended up leaving after a semester and trying to pursue food, figuring it out along the way. Just ended up taking a lot of different unpaid internships to try and see what I did and didn't like. And I'm very, very privileged and very, very fortunate that I had the time to do that, honestly, because I already had a loan out for business school. So essentially had the loan to pay for my own living expenses. But um just found, I, I think just found a lot of things in the food industry that weren't up my alley, um, but also got to work at restaurants, got to, you know, try PR, got to try like selling juice door to door to VC firms, you know, all these like strange things that I don't think otherwise, I think a lot of people just don't, you're so pressured in taking a job and many times financially you have to just aren't, aren't able to really try out. When I did end up taking a full-time job, uh, I was in R&D at Le Pan Quotidien. They're like a, a global um, French, they're Belgian. They would be angry if I said they were French. They're a Belgian boulangerie. And they, I think, recently declared bankruptcy. I haven't kept up with them because I did not have a great time there, but I think that happened. So anyway, you might have been, you might have eaten there, but I was doing menu R&D for them for their three different, um, like, country or corporate owned countries so the US UK and France so like learned a lot of interesting things did not like the job and so was able to say I don't like this job I'm gonna stay for a few more months but at that time decided to start an, uh, my own pop-up series 
basically just out of my apartment, my then boyfriend, now husband's apartment. Um, And we started hosting these dinners. And that was like my creative outlet because I had the like essentially the time I was still working a lot. But, you know, at seven o'clock, I got to come home and prep for the, the dinner the next day. I think there's just so many things that contribute to creating the opportunity for some of the things that I was able to partake in that I feel really fortunate in. And it's not fair that not everyone in the industry really has that. Now Jenny runs Studio Atau, using food as a way to have complex, meaningful conversations around social issues. So Jenny's doing a lot, all the time. And having balance is one of her challenges. I work a lot. I work on the weekends. I work most nights. Um, I think that it, that is part of the problem with having your own thing is like you can't stop thinking about it because also if you're you're the mate, like you're the founder or whatever, like if the company is not going to progress without your thoughts, like you have to constantly be iterating on like what you're going to do next. And this is the funny thing about when you're when you come out of a corporate setting is like most of the time in corporate settings, you're thinking about how you want more autonomy and control, because you don't have enough of it. But then you quickly realize it's a luxury to be told what to do, because you don't have to think you just you just someone tells you and you might be angry about whatever they told you, but then you go ahead and do it, you don't have to think about it. But Instead, I'm deciding what I'm going to do. And then I'm like constantly second guessing, like, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should send out the newsletter tomorrow at three o'clock and not 11. Like these are, you know, these are like dumb little decisions, but they're always in your brain. So I've now I turned 30 this year. So I've been trying to be like, okay, in this next decade, what would I like to be a little bit better at? I think one is just being a little gentler with myself and recognize no matter how much I obsess over the little details, it's not going to be perfect. And being able to not only forgive myself, but also carve out the space to say, if I obsess about this for another five hours, it will not make it five hours better, you know? And so I should stop now (laughs) while I'm ahead, eat my dinner, watch my show, you know, read a book, do whatever it is that I like to do or want to do that evening and like go to bed. And, you know, if newsletter goes out an hour before the optimal time, whatever that time is, I still haven't found it, you know, then it's fine. Like, just let it go. I do believe that, like, you have to fail to succeed. I really hate it when people say, like, I've never failed or I don't know failure, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think failure is an iterative process that you need to go through as a small business owner, an entrepreneur, or any really, really anyone who wants to grow. And it's just a good good opportunity to find new ways to grow. One of the areas that Jenny has gone through this iterative and reflective process is in developing an authentic voice or personal brand. It's a really challenging thing to find out how to put yourself out there publicly on social media. And Jenny has been navigating her way through that. What do I espouse versus like, what do I do? And I think a lot of companies are kind of going through that right now because, for example... We over the summer when Black Lives Matter swelled and everybody had these statements of like we stand in support da, 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 and basically everyone decided they had like a diversity, equity, and inclusion task force, which is great. We should all have DI task forces, but are those task forces paid? Um, because if you're if they're not important enough to you to get paid, then that means they're they're not actually that important to you anyway, <laughs> right? Like, and so and I think that was like that. That's like the, the small disconnect that. I think is 
the hard part of this like personal brand thing is like, well, I espouse to be kind to one another and to be vulnerable, but am I being vulnerable? Am I actually practicing kindness? And what does kind, like, what is my brand of kindness? That, those are, it's like a really vague question, but like, that's something that I was thinking about earlier this year is like, what is my brand of kindness? Does it mean that I'm nice to everyone? Does it mean that I respond to every single person who DMs me? What does it mean to like be a thought leader? Does it mean that I'm like posting articles all the time? Does it mean that I have to have an opinion on every single article, even articles that I maybe don't totally know things about? And I feel like it was always like there was, there was these parts where I would stop and be like, wait, that's not right. Like, I just don't, I shouldn't have an opinion on this because I don't know enough about it. The right thing to do that would be on brand is to say, I need to learn more about this. And I think so many people are afraid to say that they don't know that, you know, it turns into, I'm, I'm pretending that I, you know, I'm pretending have to have this stance and then I feel like I'm back into a corner. And so therefore, I'm going to keep defending my stance. So anyway, that was a long-winded way to say, I've been trying to apply what I a spouse to what I do. And sometimes I have not done that well. And so when I like, I think step on the wrong side, I just try to catch myself and be like, Oh, that's not, that's not right. Or that doesn't feel good or something's wrong about that. And I don't know why, but I should think about it. What are some of the ways that she monitors herself and reflects on the ways that she's showing up on social media? I had this like interesting conversation with someone I was having a fight with online. Um, and the person was like, well, you know, you've been like calling out these people and that's like not, not a good way to get people to change, blah, blah, blah. And I was really mad because I was like, the people I'm calling out are shit. Like I hate, you know, they're terrible people. And then I, and then I was like, oh my God, wait a minute. Like my whole theory of change, the whole studio's whole theory of change is that it's like one conversation, one person, one relationship at a time. I do believe that. And that we need to like lead with vulnerability and empathy to change. And calling out people isn't a good way to do that. And I was like, well, okay. And so I, I ignored this person for about a week and then emailed them because we were arguing over Instagram, uh, emailed them being like, I hear you. And I recognize that because I was so angry, I didn't actually explain to you why I was upset. I just kind of like lashed out online um, and at your business. Um, but here's like why I was upset. Here's where I would like to see change from your organization. I hear the change that you want to see in me and I agree with that. And here's like how I would like to change as well. I think it's an ongoing thing. I think that every time you have like your, I do believe that your body will react to things um, physically, physiologically that um, are not quite right that you need to address and trying to, instead of beating myself up about it or feeling weird about it, trying to turn those into questions for myself, um, I think is the process that I finally kind of have landed on is like, why do I feel this way? Does like, you know, again, does this match the version of kindness that I say that I espouse? Like, am I practicing not only just kindness to the other person, but like kindness to myself? Is it kind to myself to obsess about this for three more hours? Like, who is this person? Why, why do I care so much? Um, so I think, it, I think it's like every time you, you bodily react to a, a situation like that, being like, okay, can I take, what can I take from this situation? These things take time and it's a process. All you can do is be kind to yourself, don't beat yourself up, and take the time to reflect on how you're showing up. We'll talk even more about that in our next episode with Zoya Jonio.
You can find me um, on Instagram at, at Chef Jenny Dorsey, and you can find Studio Atau on Instagram as well at Studio Atau. Again, that's A-T-A-O. We'll link to all of Jenny's awesome projects, so please check her out as well as Studio Atau. If you haven't already done it, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. You can also find us on various social channels at Copper and Heat. Even better, share this with a friend. We're wrapping up this season in the next few episodes, so now would be a great time to go back and listen to some of our other episodes. And please let us know what you'd like to hear in season four. Copper and Heat is a member of the One Star Podcast Network, the first podcast network dedicated to representing voices and stories from the service industry, with shows created by service industry workers. Check out our website, onestarpodcastnetwork.com, to learn more about the other shows. Pre-Shift, the third season of Copper and Heat, is produced by me, Katie Osuna. Our story editor is Rachel Palmer. Our sound engineer and composer is Ricardo Osuna. Thank you so much for listening.